Music is a form of expression It's how I express myself If it comes from the heart you can never go wrong If it comes from the heart you can never go wrong Listening to High January by Marker Starling. This is A Thousand Songs, Episode 8. Welcome to A Thousand Songs, Episode Number 8. I'm Jim Shedden, and um, I have with me today Alan Zweig, as usual. Um, but also special guest uh, Rick McGinnis um, and Dave Howard of the Dave Howard Singers. We're on can I, I, can I just want to say, can I say something roll. else before you go on? Yeah. Today on the uh, trip here on the subway, I was listening to two music podcasts. One of them, it was episode 300. The other one, it was episode 400. And I thought, we've, we've gone to eight because we're very careful we work slowly. We're like, like tiny little filigree artists, artisans. and that's it. we're artisans, right? So we take our time. Whereas they throw them out weekly. So I'm proud of us that we've gone to eight. Although there aren't eight in the world yet, are there? There is only there are five in the world. There's and, five uh, in the world, but by the time you hear eight, this, it'll be eight. There's eight in the in the in the in the somewhere. Anyway, in, in the I'm, potentiality. Yes, I really enjoyed seven. That was good. <laughs> yeah. And nine. We enjoyed you listening to it. Schrodinger's podcast. Yes. yes. Okay, and anyway, sorry. All right. Just, the 304, like, there's one I was listening to that was episode 300, but it was too loud for the subway. There's this other one. It's called The Vinyl Guide. It's very bad, but it's loud enough to hear in the subway. So I listened to that one. Anyway. I'm not, cool. I'm not recommending it. Right. There are many, many good ones out there, though. Um, so tonight, today, whenever you're hearing this, uh, I'm going to play uh, a song by an artist very important to me, uh, Scott Walker. And the song is uh, the Amorous Humphrey Plug. And it's from Scott, too. And I'm just going to play it, and then we'll, uh, I'll talk about it for a bit, and then we'll throw it open to the crowd. Hello, Mr. Big Shot. Say you're looking smart. I've had a tiring day. I took the kids along. I'm a stranger Every night With the boys Got a new suit That old smile's come back And I kiss The children goodnight And I slip Away on the newly waxed floor 
become a giant I fill every street I dwarf the rooftops I hunch back the moon Stars dance at my feet Leave it all behind me Kids on my knee and the telly Swallowing me and the neighbor Shouting next door and the subway Trembling the roller skate floor I see the bill Suck you in with their laughter They seem to say You're all right now So stop a while Behind our smile Enchanting way Kisses, ecstasies and charms Pavements of poets will write that I died in nine angels' arms And they all were smiling Still seductive as sin in their eyes The man I had been No more hard luck Stories to wear Nothing left to give Why the hell should I care? owns my smile and marries my shadow Enchanting way And with her Cellophane size To lean on the candles Begs me to stay You're all right now So stop a while Behind our smile So, I first heard that song on a record called um, Fire Escape in the Sky, The Godlike Genius of Scott Walker. And it was a gift to me from my friend Lisa Godfrey some of us know here, um, when I was 18, 17, 18. And um, I, I, she thought I must have known about him, but I didn't at all. Uh, and uh, I, But she gave it to me because uh, I, I was, you know, at that period in my life where nothing mattered but music. I was so into music. 
I was, I, I, and I, I, I needed to know more than everybody else about music. I was very arrogant about it. Um, and for whatever reason, despite all that knowledge, I was at that moment uh, into Teardrop Explodes, who, uh, <laughs> you know, her pretty meager band, really, when you get down to it. But Julian Cope was an interesting guy, and one thing he did was to produce that album yeah. um, before getting into Kraut Rock and Japanese uh, rock and so on. Um, and so, uh, so that was the connection. And uh, but it kind of, um, you know, then I played the record, and uh, I don't know. It was like, like I, I don't. I mean, I sometimes say this about other things, but I just can't imagine. I, I don't remember having the kind of response to any other record in my life. I'm not saying it's the best record or even my favorite record today. Um, but it was for the very a very long time, and it kind of, it was, uh, it was like it suddenly made everything else possible, like things that I didn't know about. Like I was, I thought I was like having a pretty diverse, you know, you know, I was into punk and into Dave Howard. Who actually, I have to say, the bands I was seeing downtown, like Dave, uh, Dave you know, Dave was. Was uh, was in a way a, a fantastic outlier. You know, you were one of one of the people not doing what everybody else was doing, which was kind of this, you know, a certain a certain kind of sound, which I which I quite like. But um, uh, but 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 anyway, uh, I, I heard this record and every single song on it. These are all songs written by Scott Walker, so that's all I knew. And was it a greatest hits record? It, well, he didn't have because that's from Scott too. So what was that with he, Julian Cope? I think it was, no, no, it was like a, Julian a compilation? So it was like his yeah. mixtape, basically. So if I could yeah. just clarify, it was on Scott 2, which was, a, a, like all his albums, had a mix of things. His songs and his Jacques Brel covers and so on. But this, the album that I received as a gift, was a compilation. Right, okay. And it can't be called a greatest hits because he didn't really have hits. Um, not of, well, he did, but I'm, I'm you know, but it, okay, so yeah. Okay, that, I'm just saying when you said the record, it wasn't every a song criteria. on the record, it was just, it's kind of not really a record, but, but I, I know what you're saying. But it was, but for me, you know, again though, that for me it oh, yeah, was, no, and, the, and just the, the kind of that particular collection, what was it, how, how was it that it hung together? I guess mostly for me it was just that I, 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 I just wasn't listening to anything like that, even if I thought I was, and I was ignoring things that were close relatives to it you know like I you know I remember hearing it and then actually wondering you know maybe if that maybe I should listen to that Frank Sinatra record that's just sitting there like I, I which I assumed I would hate you know and this led to that um, it was psychedelic but not like anything else I had that I would call psychedelic um, you know it you know it you know it led me to going to the vinyl museum or someplace like that, looking under W where there are other records. And the next one I came across was Scott Walker sing Jacques Brel, right? The songs of Jacques Brel. I didn't know who Jacques Brel was. So it was just like one door was leading to another door. And that was almost as exciting. I mean, I, at the end of the day, the songs he wrote on Scott one before and the album that followed that, those are the ones that most excite me. But the Jacques Brel covers, I could see that, I could see that that material is what kind of helped to lead him to this material. It was like it was unusual. It was it was, uh, uh, I mean, it's di it's different. But he 
his interpretations were by and large interpretations of the translations and arrangements on Jacques Brel is Alive and Well and Living in Paris. Never heard of it, didn't know anything about any musicals really when it came down to it at that point. Um, didn't know who Brel was, so then I was buying records by Brel. And then, you know, then I noticed that there were also translations by Rod McEwen, who I assumed was the worst poet in the world. That's what the, <laughs> what the reputation was. But then I noticed, you know, then I noticed, oh my God, when I was younger, I was listening to Seasons in the Sun, which was a Jacques Brel cover. I do Emile, my trusted friend. We've known each other since we were nine or ten. Together we climbed hills and trees. You know, so this was like leading me to all kinds of things that where it, 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 I'm still I'm still there today, and I might not listen to Scott Walker for a long time, but when I go back, uh, it, it sort of it brings me into the, this place. And I don't know how to exactly describe. Um, I'm, it's really hard to not talk about lyrics, even though I have nothing to actually say about the lyrics, except that um, they were they were unusual. They created little images in my head, uh, it, like in the best way, like Dylan, in that I could dig and find out exactly where he was coming from or where Dylan was coming from and all that. But it didn't matter. That's not how they functioned for me. They they kind of ignited little brain movies um, because of just because of the of the of the power of the words and the co the combination um, the, the just the unusualness like just the title the amorous Humphrey plug like you know I'm listening to you know the Ramones or whatever at this point and and uh, and then suddenly this comes along and it's like uh, this huge huge gift. Um, so Jim, can I say something? Yeah, sure. episode eight. You've never been more articulate talking about a song mm. than you were just there. That was, it's almost like nothing left to say, but we'll find things to say. I was impressed. I was impressed. I was impressed also because, you know what? I forgot this song. I forgot mm -hmm. what, when you said the name, I was like, I don't know what song that is. But I, I think that's one of the ones I don't like. And then it's like, I hear it and it's like, oh my God, there's this. This is where I'm inadequate to talk about music. There's this part where the music just takes this mm -hmm. kind of lift, mm -hmm. and it's like, and then I thought, yeah. So I don't, you know, I'm interrupting you. If you're finished, no. Like, I know that, I know that Dave knows a lot about Scott Walker because I'm pretty sure he's connected to the little group of people in Toronto who were like the Scott Walker originators. Mm -hmm. I, I, I shared a memory with you before, that was wrong. But I still think this memory is true, which is I once shot a tribute concert for a film that I didn't make, but it was a film about Steve, Steve Banks. Banks yeah. I thought you played this concert, and Steve Banks is maybe one of the self-professed original Scott this. Walker guys. My, I got Scott Walker from Scott Kramer, mm -hmm. who also goes by Drysdale. He introduced Scott Walker to me. I was in my 40s, like, and, uh, you know, whatever. I got, I came to Scott Walker by finally liking crooners in my 
in the 90s when I was buying Exotica records and then I bought Tony Bennett and then I finally could say, you know what, like, if that's a good song and you've got a good voice, that's good. And then, then, then I was allowed to kind of, it was almost, I allowed myself to like a rock singer who was really just could have played Vegas. Right. So could open. Could open for Jack way. Jones. <laughs> you know, there's actually. I always say the same thing. There's a record. Jack Jones play sings Michelle Legrand, and I believe if I put that on and say, "Here's a Scott Walker record you never heard," for the first song you'd kind of go, "Oh," and then maybe you'd realize it's not Scott it's Walker. Jones, yeah. But anyway, um, the yeah, that song is like. Usually we don't play the whole song in the episode, but for me, like, I didn't want that to end. That was so well, we beautiful. Can. But it was so beautiful. But the funny thing, though, is my experience of doing this show is I look at the lyrics for the first time and in my life, and now I look at these lyrics, and there's this part, Anne knows my smile and buries my shadow. There, there's no way I would have thought there's a person named Anne in this. Like, I've heard this song a hundred times. There's a person named Anne, Karina the Candle. I don't know what the fucking song's about. Anne knows, me. <laughs> Anne knows my smile and buries my shadow. But that's such a beautiful song. Fuck that. That might be my new favorite. Uh, even though apparently Dave is bringing a better Scott Walker song. No, no. I'm just suggesting there's no such, there's no such thing as a better Scott no. Walker song. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. I was being a doofus when mm. he said, yeah, your song No, is, there might be. His song is good. There are great songs. Right. But no, I mean, there's no such thing as a bad Scott I, You know, I came to love Scott Walker so much, listen to him so much, that when he, he doesn't do You're Having My Baby, but he does do Do I Love You. Do I love you, don't you know by now? Do I love you, let me show. He has this later yeah. compilation where he's covering but Sundown and yeah. Sundown, you better take care. And I just if love I his voice so much. I will say one thing. I don't think it's, I don't think you're being fair to Rod McEwen. Rod McEwen was made fun of because he was a poet in the sixties when it was easy to make fun of the poet. But actually Rod McEwen made pretty good crooner records, mm -hmm. and also there's that Sinatra, Sinatra record yeah. where he does... Watertown? Ro no, no, it's called A Man Alone. And oh, that's the record. That's the yeah. one before Watertown. Right. Oh, okay, great. And, and it's all Rod McEwen's songs, and it's a beautiful record. In me you see A Man Alone I, Yeah, he was, he was definitely made fun of, but as any poet who would have been famous would have if they brought a poet on Merv Griffin, it was to make fun of him. Goes walking in the rain, expecting love again. Um, I, 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 I want to hear from everyone else, but I'll just say a few little things. Yeah, I, I, I connected to Steve Banks because he'd heard of Scott Walker. He came up to me at like someone. Someone knew that I, you know, that I, I, he knew that I knew that, you know, it was that kind of uh, uh, thing. And then, 
Um, and then I, I found out somehow that you had heard of Scott Walker, but it was a very small group um, because it wasn't what you know. It wasn't really what wasn't people, cool. It wasn't cool. I mean, it didn't seem cool on the surface. That's um, why it was cool. Right. That's why it was yeah. cool because it was not cool. And then I think um, no, I got over the McEwen thing. I mean, this, Scott Walker helped me get over the McEwen thing, and then um, I just my radar was out. And then I, without knowing what a uh, uh, that that, that the Sinatra album was actually. Uh, a, a complete dud, I mean, commercially and all that. I didn't know that, and I just kind of listened to it, and I thought, this is super strange shit, you know? It was, like, pretty amazing, yeah. So... Oh, I just want to add one thing before that you go on, which is, I love Scott Walker, one, two, three, four, doing Paul Anka, but I, I can't, you know, the Night Flight Walker Brothers records and the stuff he made afterwards, I respect tilt, it. Tilt. Tilt and, and yeah. whatever, but that's... I respect him for doing, for totally progressing in his music, but for me, I like the yeah. kind of crooner stuff. Well, I don't play it. I played it uh, in the last couple of days. I played all the records that I could find. Um, and I feel the same way that I, I kind of respect those records, but I don't actually play them. I did see this um, kind of musical biography of him at the music gallery and sometime in the pandemic. Um, which was fantastic and, and, and kind of really gave me new appreciation of those records just because it put it into a context that I wasn't quite, wasn't really satisfied by that documentary. Um, so there's, so I, I may, I may like those albums someday more, but um, uh, yeah. And I, yeah. And I have, um, I have that, I have the, the, Scott Walker sings songs from his TV series. Now I'd love to see a TV series one day, but it had the "Do I Love You" and uh, all kinds of things like that on it, um, uh, as well as the that's like apparently where the Tim Harden songs. I guess we perform them on the TV show and all that. So um, yeah, I, this is I, I could just as easily have chosen Plastic Palace people. Over the Top sails, Billy, a string tied to his underwear. Uh, or, or any number of other you know, songs that he wrote. Oh, the first song I heard on the album, because this is the Doors opening theme again, was Seventh Seal. Anybody seen a night pass this way? I saw him playing chess with death yesterday. His crusade was a search for God and they say. And so that to me was, and there's, like, there's like a mariachi theme that runs through my life because my first memory in life is hearing in you know, a ring of fire. Love is a burning thing. But I heard Seven Seal and I thought, this is fucking like, weird. This is so fantastic. Like, I, I, I couldn't, I, I totally loved it. I didn't know what it was, though. And then, you know, you know, be all faster today with Wikipedia and all that. But I was like, 
I read maybe in a magazine or researched that it was a film by Igmar Bergman. I'd heard of him, but I went down that road and we became a huge Bergman fan because of this. And for a long time, I called Seven Seal my favorite film. Today, I find it actually difficult to watch that film, but uh, it still led me on a pretty interesting journey, you know, all because of a three-minute pop song at the end of the day. So, Okay, I just, I'm, I just have one more thing to say. <laughs> when you said, I've heard Jim many times, he says, kind of like, is it my favorite song? Is it the best song in the world? And then today, for the first time, it sounded, I heard in my head, is he a good man? Is he a kind man? But anyway. <laughs> oh, please, Dave, you no, first. No, no, no. Oh, okay, I'll try and be fast. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I heard this, I was sort of introduced to Scott Walker by Howie Kramer, who's uh, Scott Kramer's brother, uh, one of the Kramer brothers, Larry Kramer being Jane Bennett's husband and trumpet player, oh. and also my then roommate at the time, uh, Robert Lawrence, who ran Vortex one of the Vortex records mm -hmm. here in Toronto. And it was sort of one of those things like the way Lisa gave you the record. I have this feeling like when people need Scott Walker, somebody will give you a Scott Walker record and say, I think you need this at this time in your life. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened here. Um, the 90s, I had a horrible, wonderful 90s. That's when I met Alan. So I don't remember distinctly what I was like during that decade, which is to say a basket case. Um, I, was, I was really depressed most of the time and had a, having a very hard time with things. <laughs> and uh, Scott Walker was exactly what I needed to hear at that point. It, would just, it, it helped me sort of understand it. I could sort of luxuriate in my maudlin feelings um, and sort of celebrate them in a way. Um, it, it, it sort of you know, it became a soundtrack for a couple of years of my life during that decade. Um, I think the first record was, I think somebody gave me Boy Child. Um, and then there was the Scott, the Walker Brothers compilation that went with that. And then I just ran from there. And yeah, I mean, I knew, I only knew The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore, which I thought was a Righteous Brothers song uh, for years and years until finally I was disabused of that notion. The sun ain't gonna shine Yeah, I mean, I just remember this music, that song, all of his stuff from this period as being sort of woven into this really dire decade of my life uh, where I, I think I was basically dealing with some kind of clinical depression. And this, I don't know, I mean, some people think, well, why would you want to listen to depressing music when you're depressed? Funny that. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you do, and it actually feels great. It, it sort of helps you to sort of bridge to some kind of recovery point, I suppose. Yeah. Well, if know. you hear happy music, well, you hate it, it. you're like, what are you so fucking happy about? Yeah, like, yeah. That's, yeah. I hate happy music. I mean, I generally hate happy music, and I have often said there is no happy art, but I think there is some happy art. Yeah. But generally, no. Like, I don't even know why. Like, do you know the way to San Jose is a fucking sad song? Mm. But yes, it's a pretty song that people sing. But yeah, yeah, to, you you don't want somebody to try and cheer you up when you're depressed. Well, that you this want music somebody, definitely did not do that. Yeah, you want somebody to go, yeah, I'm fucked up too. That's what you want, mm. I think. Anyway, mm. 
thank you. Um, yeah, uh, I guess it would have been in 81. Um, uh, Steve Banks, again, Steve Banks. No, sorry, the great Steve Banks. Uh, the late great. The late great. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah he, um, he said, uh, we were talking about Scott Walker, and, he, and I'm like, uh-huh. And he's blah, 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 Scott Walker, blah, 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 Scott Walker, blah, 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 Maybe probably mentioned uh, Senate Gonna Shine Anymore. Mm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I know that. Yeah, okay, well, whatever. And, um, which is a real CHFI kind yeah, of song. Yeah, which, like, um, yeah, I sort of probably went, oh, Righteous Brothers. Yeah, okay, sure, whatever. And so he says, no, I want you to take this album. So he gives me his copy. A fire escape in the sky, the godlike genius of Scott Walker, and he says, "I want you to take this back home, and I want you to listen to it." I'm like, oh yeah, uh, sure, yeah, thanks. So like three weeks pass, and he goes, uh, "Hey, so uh, I was just wondering if you're finished with it." Oh yeah, yeah, I'll be, I'll come <laughs> down the next day, and so I came down. I said, "Hey, here you go," and he goes, "So what did you think?" And I went. Yeah, it's good. You, know, <laughs> you didn't listen to it, did you? And I went, well, you know. He says, all right, fine. So he gets up and he puts it on the, the, the turntable and just says, no, just, let's just listen. Let's just sit here and listen. Yeah, I felt like an idiot because mm. it was probably one of the most important things C. Banks was ever going to do for me um, musically. Um, um, yeah, um, he's Walker is clearly uh, a crooner of of a particular era, but he has this quirky side of his of his own music of his own writing. Uh, I mean, I look, you know, I I respect the fact that he's a Jacques Brel fan himself. Uh, personally, if I'm going to hear Jacques Brel, I'd rather Jacques Brel sang it. Mm. But that's just me. I, I'm, I'm, I have not found whatever it is about Jacques Brel that other people sing about. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's just, it's. I don't know. I'm not there yet with with that. But and and if Scott wants to sing that, well, who am I to judge? That's that's great. Go for it. What I like is pure Scott Walker. I don't want to hear him singing covers. I want him singing his material, his compositions with Wally Stott's arrangements. Mm. That's what I want to hear because his lyrics, I know he was into reading a lot of, um, uh, you know, like Camus and Sartre mm-hmm. and, and um, Kafka. It's just he was really into this dark sort of um, existential sort of frame of mind for a long time with his, and and you hear it in his writing and his lyrics but then to have this very joyful melodic um emotional um you know crooning of, of it on top uh, it just it was like oh wow this is like somebody took the style of my parents music mm. which i will confess i i loved Mm-hmm. I, I didn't hate it. Um, my parents listened to CFRB back in the days when CFRB played music mm-hmm. only. And so, yeah, I listened to all of that, that kind of stuff. Um, and Scott Walker just seemed to be somebody who started on that path, 
but just couldn't commit and had this other great idea and would occasionally pay the bills by doing Paul Anka, mm-hmm. you know, but, but was really their heart was into um, doing this stuff that nobody else was thinking of in a way that no one else was daring to. Um, yeah, years later, when I heard that, you know, he was spending hours in a recording studio. Hitting sides of beef. Punching sides of beef and just to get the right sound. And I was like, okay, well, fine, you know. Um, I know taxi driving does pay the bills too. So that's, that was what he was doing when he wasn't in the studio. So, But um, didn't that sort of, for me, that kind of enhanced the legend that there was this guy who, like everyone was talking about, he's a recluse. He's, you know, yeah. he's not. He was a recluse hiding in plain sight from what I understand. Yeah. You could run into him yeah. if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, you could end up in a cab with him mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't. He just you know, he he went and he went and he may still made records. Like actually, it was the shocking thing once I got mm-hmm. into him, and started researching. I was like, holy shit, he's got a lot of records. Like mm-hmm. not just he these did. records. There's all these other records mm-hmm. as well that are even harder to find because yeah. nobody's buying them. And yeah, it, these are good. Yeah, it was. It, it's like there's that classic Scott Walker that well everybody at this table is clearly enamored by, but but. Um, and and he sort of changed style, mm. um, and that really is usually the kiss of death yeah. for a person's career. The seventies denim shirt, blow dried, Scott Walker. Sure. Oh. Well, we, I, actually, I, I like his seventies material. Like yeah. you, you were talking about. Well, I don't hate night, it either. Yeah. Night flight. Uh, uh, I love Night Flight. Uh, uh, the Electrician. If I the handle, you'll die in your dreams. If I jerk the handle, jerk the handle, you'll thrill me and thrill me and thrill me. Um, uh, Fat Mama Kicks to me is one of the the coolest pieces of music mm. ever written. I, I mean, this was doing, you know, Warnock Coleman sax solos, eight tonal sax solos before anybody other than Ornette Coleman and, and, you know um, it was just this, this very righteous brothers vocal uh, harmony doing this really neat thing um, to a to a kind of beat And just this drone of of a of a of a of a Don't 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 
And then this saxophone in the middle, and it's just like, what the fuck? And this is what the seventies? Yeah. You know. Nobody in their right mind is doing this. No, what were they on? And where can I get some? (laughs) So it was, yeah, there's just clearly something really inventive about the guy. And whether I'm into everything he does, that's not important. Mm. But but the respect, yeah, I I have nothing but respect for for what... uh, what he did and the gift that he gave a whole bunch of kids from Toronto, especially, mm. you know, oh, I, I think somebody said, oh, he's from Hamilton. Well, he kind of was from Hamilton, Ohio or Indiana or, yeah. you know, one of those American states that also has a city named Hamilton, mm-hmm. but um, not our Hamilton. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, that's the other weird thing is that they weren't British. But I mean, we thought well, they were British. he wasn't. I think the other two were. Really? John I'm not was, sure. I don't know. I'm no, not no, sure. No, 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 they were all I, Americans. I they were really? All Americans. They were all Americans. They went wow. to Britain. Because Britain was hip and it was they, where they thought you, you know, you could launch yeah. a career at Beatles, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, it did work. It yeah, really did work. The Walker Brothers probably did. I mean, they had a, they had a bunch more hits. Mm-hmm. They had, and they they had hits of, with Backrack. They I were kind of a manufactured band. Was a Walker Brothers song. And they did a great. Yeah. Yeah. You know those the Scott one two three four are hard to find. There are it's, originals are expensive. I, yeah. I don't I don't have Deadly, don't have any deadlier than the mail. That's a good. Which was I'm not sure if it was actually in. There's a movie called Deadlier than the Mail, which is no. this really. Yeah, I think that's. A, it's, I think, I think that's it was the soundtrack a, the tune song. for it, which is this really weird Bond parody yeah, film. Yeah, I think that is. Yeah, um, I'm sort of obsessed with these. Are bad you are Bond you films. are you actually picking a Scott Walker song as your song, Dave? Oh hell no! Oh, yeah, I've got something oh, else. Okay. okay. No, no. You, you don't try to. There's no competing with with Scott okay. Walker. Some, sometimes no. people have tried to pick a song in the same theme. No. As the song well, I w- I'm gonna, I'm going to say I'm in the same the same ballpark. Okay. But no, it's uh, Yeah, I mean, that's just before you choose it. Scott Walker ended up yeah, affecting, well, he wasn't completely only available for this, but now a lot of records I like which are often just one-offs, just like one record are because of Scott Walker. Mm-hmm. Like I have this record TS Bonniewell. It's Sean Bonniewell from the music machine, Talk Talk. But his, fir- his third record is, I would say, mm-hmm. it's a Scott Walker record. Nice. Like it's a, nice. it's a crooner record. It's got strings. <laughs> now when I get a 60s record and I hear strings, which, you know, when I'm a teenager, I'm like, fuck, why are drenching them with strings? But now, like, crooners and strings and... Yeah, like, I, there's a good... Paul Anka record, which I only like because it's like reminds me of Scott Walker. Not mm. not that not that all crooners must bow down. Like I think you know, I think Jack Jones is good on his. He didn't need Scott Walker, but anyway, yeah, uh, hmm. Scott Walker, yeah, whatever. And that I that thank you for that song. I haven't yeah. heard that song in a while, and I I think I wouldn't play it because of the title. Like literally, I would like. That's a, very that's a stupid title. It's got a very it's Anthony be a Newley. Stupid, 
Anthony Newley. Well, it is. That's yeah. when he starts singing. That's right away. I think of Anthony Newley. Yeah. And he did. He is an avowed Anthony Newley fan. That's what he says. He got his okay. music from. Anyway, huh. let's so, move on. Well, I'll, yeah, I just okay. we will. But I will say one more thing about the doors opening, and I, I, this might have been a Steve thing as well. That there were a number of artists. So there's crooners and all of that, but it was all I'd never heard love before. I heard Scott Walker, mm. right? So and then maybe I remember reading about them in like the gym. The Wilson. band love, yeah, and and that Scott Walker led you to the band love. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you know, no, like, I'm I'm informed, and it's just like are you still informed? It wouldn't have been. I'm pretty informed. Yeah, but we are going to move. <laughs> we're going to play a song that. David brought with us here. Oh, can I set it up? Yeah, then? you yeah. can. Please do. So, so um, just to talk about a different musical sensibility, uh, the Beatles. I was watching, uh, it was a couple of years ago, I was watching for the first time uh, Ron Howard's Eight Days a Week oh, documentary yeah. showing yeah. N- newly unseen uh, Shea Stadium footage and... Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, like like the, all of us, we grew up with the Beatles. So yeah, we watched the Beatles, and and so it's a documentary about the Beatles. What kind of music? What kind of soundtrack do you think is going to be playing in a Beatle movie? The Beatles. So it's you know this Paul McCartney song, that Lennon McCartney song, that John song, that George Harrison song, this, and then about the third, two thirds, three quarter mark. This comes on. So that's Lujan. Um, I'm was just enamored. I'm, I'm surrounded by all this Beatle music, and then suddenly that comes on. Now it was they suddenly decided to start talking about Brian Epstein, and this was the music they chose to represent Epstein. Now I don't know if it was because he was suave and debonair, and and also liked the boys, and and you know just had this very cosmopolitan manner about him, and so on and so. I couldn't pick a better cosmopolitan-sounding piece of music. I'm, I'm afraid I am a cosmopolitanist, even though I live in the country uh, now. I, I really just, I, it's, when I hear something that, that evokes in your mind, you know, panoramic views of Manhattan or, or, or you know, the city lights of Tokyo or whatever, what have you, I, I just get chills and I don't understand why, but it's, it's drawing back to something in my childhood, I'm sure, um, that, that struck me and, and stayed with me always. And, and there's just something about these strings that just the, the, the dragging of horsehair across cat gut that creates such beauty. You know, I, 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 it's, it's, it's so uh, 
enigmatic to me. I just, I don't know why I, it evokes this, but anyway, um, so yeah, as soon as I heard this passage, I was like, what is that, what is that, what is that? And, and I, I almost wanted to hurry the movie up so I could get to the credits, because this was the only way I was gonna find out. And so yes, I'm sitting there, okay, here's the credits, okay, here we go. Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney, Harrison. Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney. Harrison, Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney. Oh, Ringo, Harrison, <laughs> Lennon McCartney. There, Henry fucking Mancini. Oh my God! Of course, who else could it be? Yeah. You know, it's like one of those moments where you you see Mancini's like a funny, funny composer. Once you know it's it's him, you go, oh, yeah, of course. Who the hell else could it have been? It's not like Bernard Herrmann, um, who you hear Bernard Herrmann's work in film. And you go, oh yeah, that's Bernard Herrmann. It, he does certain things that are just signatures to him. So does Mancini, but it's they're not note signatures. They're esoteric. They're they're. It's oh Christ, that's really classy. I bet it's Mancini. You know, um, never mind his corny, goofy stuff. Baby elephant walking. <laughs> Pink Panther theme and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the whole the Blake, like, he just always associated with Blake Edwards. Not one me. of I'm One not, of his not best... Not Peter Gunn. Best pieces was written for a Blake Edwards uh, picture, Experiment in Terror. I mean, so even Blake Edwards gets gets a pass, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, so so just like yeah, Mancini just never disappoints me, and 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 so I heard. So I, I immediately so I, okay. So what's this called? Lou John? No, no, it can't be that. Jean? Yeah, Lou Jean. That's what. Wonder what that is. So I go and I I look it up on YouTube and I okay, Lou Jean. And Mancini, yeah, okay, something comes up, I hit play. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's Actually, it. you wouldn't, like, I believe you, that that's your story, but Lou John is on, it's from Mr. Lucky. But that tune is it's from, from the Reem. I know, but in the movie, Mr. Lucky, Lou John, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to nerd out here. Oh, it, so there's a film version of Mr. Lucky? Yeah, Mr. Lucky. No, Mr. Lucky had a soundtrack. Mr. Lucky it was, was a TV, TV show. And yeah. that song, Lou John, was in the soundtrack. And it's on the soundtrack record. But if but you I, listen to the soundtrack record, you're not going to get those strings. I don't think. The, the, he did it. There's Mr. Version. Lucky Goes Latin, and right. where he remade all these tunes. Yeah. And that's where that version comes from, which is also in 
either a Soderbergh film or that film with Terrence Stamp when he's like going back and forth. What's that one? Is that a Soderbergh film? The Terrence Stamp, he's playing him. They use all this footage of him and now he's older and he's in Los Angeles. The Hick? No, no, that's, uh, I can't remember. It is beautiful. It's one of my favorite films and I can't remember what it's called. I, I know that I've heard but this they, there's song this used. Shot. There's a shot. In, as a soundtrack yeah. to yeah. a lot of There's things. a shot of like a beautiful L.A. apartment. Mm -hmm. Like this is, you know, like this is what the sort of space age bachelor pad. The limey? The, the oh, limey. yeah, the limey. limey yeah. That's mm -hmm. it. yeah, I think it's in the limey. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's just when I heard it in the limey, I went and listened to it on Mr. Lucky and I was like, oh. Is different, and then I, Mancini was Mancini and Backrack were like the giant revelations of my life when I started buying records at the thrift store, and all of a sudden now I have forty Mancini records, and they're like, like, yeah, like two for the, and then you notice like, I think there is. I if I was musical, I think I could say there's like when you hear. A bunch of them that he made around the same time, like Two for the Road and... Things like that. There is something that he must. I mean, how could he make that many soundtracks without falling back on, I don't know, musical signatures or something. But I think, I think Henry Mancini is Obviously, he was very successful in his time, but nobody talks about him anymore. I think he's highly underrated. Mm -hmm. Like he's, because he didn't, he didn't write that many songs with lyrics that, so he mostly did soundtracks, but, you know, Peter Gunn, whatever. Peter Gunn changed the world. Like it changed soundtracks and that's, mm -hmm. he did that and anyway. Well, it's funny you should talk about lyrics though, because yeah, that is clearly an instrumental. Um, and, uh, so I, I sort of went, oh my God, I, I really want to do something with this piece of music. I want to recreate the strings. I want to sing something over it. I wonder if anybody ever turned it into a song. Yeah. Well, they did. It's called Slow Hot Wind. Oh. And um, who have I got on there? Johnny, um, oh, shoot, senior moment. Johnny Hartman. Hartman, thank oh, you. Oh, Johnny Hartman. Yeah, now he does. Wow. Uh, there's also a Sarah Vaughan there, and there's a, oh, yeah, um, a Sergio Mendez. But um, but the, I think the Johnny Hartman is probably the best out of those three um, that uh, where where somebody wrote lyrics to it, and they really did it justice. Now, the 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 strings aren't in you know any of those arrangements because why would there be? But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's just like uh, it's, oh, yeah. uh, it, it's it's they did a really good uh, job on composing some lyrics for it, and uh, um, yeah. So uh, who knows? Maybe we'll hear well, this. Yeah, let's put, let's play it. You have a slow oh, wind I, to play us. I don't. Want I know to. that song. I didn't. By the way, in the earlier version, this instrument is the luzhon. Like the thunk, thunk, thunk. Oh, right. Like a yeah. Yeah. Swept over me like oh, 
us low Hot wind Some days It's too warm to fight A slow Hot wind There in the shade Like a cool drink waiting She sat with slow fire in her eyes Just waiting Some days It's too warm to fight A slow Yeah, but Johnny. Oh, that's hilarious. That's yeah, great. I didn't realize that I had Sergio Mendes' version. Uh, oh, yeah, that's years, the version I know. And was listening to it where it's all la 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 la, slow hot wind. <laughs> um, but uh, it's still good. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 it's funny. You develop this sudden crush on a piece of music and then you want to know more about it and then you find out it's been there in your life all that all the time mm -hmm. yeah. just maybe not the version that you fell in love with but anyway music funny isn't it this is a very this is a very um uh, uh what would you call it a thematically consistent episode so far rick it's gonna i hope blow that away. Yeah, you're going to play Ramones or something, are you? No, I, I think I'm straight down the first bass line with this with my selection as well. You you will be shocked the, the okay, no, no, I'm not that's happening. I'm not surprised. That, the the funny thing that... Um, you brought Andy Kim, right? No, he's not, he doesn't. I don't have one this time. But I could have brought an Andy Kim song. I was I met I had lunch with Andy Kim. Yeah, he's, he's very nice. He is very nice. Yes. But he there's a song on one of his records by Jeff Berry that I have thought of bringing. Mm -hmm. But no, I didn't bring Andy Kim. But Andy Kim would fit right in, wouldn't he? My friend uh, Ron Mann actually is, was was making a documentary on Mancini. It didn't happen. I don't know what happened to it, but there was you know some. His you know this I think there's interesting. That's a good idea. Still. Yeah, good idea. Okay. okay. Are we moving on? Have we said everything we can about Lujan? Well, you can't really ever you say everything say about Lujan, but I think we've said enough. It is, the, the, it is funny. You make the thing about strings, like I had just said before. Like, I kind of hated strings. Yeah. And I still, I mean, I still, you know, I say that I came to love country music so much that even country music ruined by strings I can still enjoy, but string, yeah, like when the strings just sort of come in, like, I don't know. Again, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's the, the, the dynamics of just playing one note, too. Right. Like, it's, it's just it, the way that it creeps in and then gets very loud, and, and then it slips and slides around, and wow. But, it's, it's, but it's, I have to say, like, I don't mind a violin you know, a single violin 
Scarlett Rivera on Bob Dylan or something. I, I don't mind it, but it's a string section we're talking about, not a just. Yeah, but Alan, Alan, how long now since you've had your revelation about like not just hate, hating strings outright or crooners? Like how I would venture that you've lived more of your life actually liking crooners and strings than you did. Well, that's only you saying that because you're not really thinking clearly about how old I am. <laughs> so, because, yeah, I, that happened in the 90s. I'll say, I'll be generous and say it happened in 93. Okay. So it's probably still 93 or 30 years ago, and I'm 71. So you lose that okay. bet. But, yeah, it's been a long time. But I still, whatever, I'm still there. I'm still, when I listen to music now that I hated you know I mean I hated Sinatra not because I okay I still do not want to hear any Sinatra songs where he snaps his fingers and kind of goes hey swing hey, see I don't want to swing I don't want anybody to swing I don't right. like any swinging just <laughs> don't swing around me but but no we hated Sinatra because because he made fun of the Beatles. He made fun of rock and roll. He was the king of showbiz, and he made really horrible jokes. And he tried to, you know, he did that show with Elvis Presley, where basically, you know, as Elvis Presley was being emasculated and turned into a showbiz, Frank Sinatra was one of, Frank, go get him, make him like us, and he'll be horrible from then on. Like, so that's why I hated him. It wasn't his singing. But yeah, then I, then I, whatever. I think the thing for me, the one nobody talks about, but I like Andy Williams. I think Andy, Andy Williams was made fun of even by these other crooners. Mm -hmm. But Andy Williams has a fucking beautiful voice. He could sing anything. You listen to Andy Williams, and he's like, he's like right there, and then he just goes stronger without like, it's just like he moves his pinky, and all of a sudden he's louder. And he had the good sense to work with Henry Mancini. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How about Steve Lawrence? Can you go there? I can go Steve Lawrence. The only one I like, like I have, I like Buddy Greco. I like the only one I can't go is Jerry Vale. Hmm. But uh, you know, I like Johnny Mathis. I like. Uh, Do you like Vic Franklin? Vic Franklin, yes, a Canadian reference there. I Brought some Vic Franklin. Yeah, I have. Since Vic we're Vic mentioning Vic Franklin, I brought some Vic Franklin. He was. We say he's Canadian. He was actually Welsh, he's but Welsh. he made he so, made his yeah. records on the Canadian Talent Library, and he was With a good. Jackie, me too. Jackie, me too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are records. You cannot get cooler than that. Anyway, he had his own TV show on CHCH. I never. Have, I I have three Vic Franklin records. I have no. Uh, Adam Tamoon records so of what was he like? But okay. yeah, I like. I don't know who is my favorite crooner. Well, it's Tony Bennett. Like Tony Bennett just died, and sure. Tony Bennett, Tony Bennett playing "Make It Easy on Yourself" mm. is is sure. the best. Make it easy on yourself, cause breaking up. Is so very hard to do. You know, like, yeah. 
again, with Tony Bennett also, I don't want him to swing. I don't want to hear him with Lady Gaga. I don't want him to duet with people. But, but sure. when Joanna loved me. When Joanna loved me. Paris. Or I left my heart in San Francisco. I left my heart in San Francisco. High on a hill. It calls to me. As a ballad, like, fuck, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Rick. Scott, Scott Walker does a pretty good When Joanna Loved Me, too. Okay. This is true. Um, so, maybe, okay, well, we'll move on. Yes. Do you want to introduce your song, Rick? Yes. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I have helpful. You have lyrics? Helpful inf I have a helpful information sheet. Wow. For everyone, because um, I'm that kind Should of we, guy. Um, wow. no, I'm good, thanks. So. Is there a uh, test later? No, everything's here. Um, <gasps> oh. You know this? No, but oh. I like the first name. Okay, all right, all right. Well, um, yeah, this is uh, I, this is a song I probably never would have heard if I hadn't really had, you know, my barriers broken open a bit by listening to people like Scott Walker in the 90s. And there's a term Alan once came up with called neophilia, the sort of love of the new. And I don't think I came up with that. But well, anyways, you I'll told it to me, so okay. I, I credit it to you. And anyways, yeah, you sort of, you, you, do, you, you hear something new, it, it excites you, and you think there must be more new things. I must find the new things. Now, I, I knew who Ennio Morricone was, obviously, but I... And then somebody said, hey, you know, he, he, he produced pop songs, right? Like he made a lot of pop songs, like there's tons of them. And then one day I found out they were like Bear Family or somebody had collected them on four discs. Mm -hmm. So I went out and bought every damn one of them. And mm -hmm. this was on one of those discs. And yeah, I just, let's just, let's just play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 
this song is is nuts. It's basically just choruses. It's just he just goes from chorus, 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 and he modulates the key every time he changes, and then yeah. goes back down again, yeah. and starts going up again. It's just a series of crescendos. Yeah. nuts yeah. it's too much it's just too much song too much crammed in but it's Marconi so he's, he can do that he's allowed to he's the man who's good at that kind of thing um, and the, the connection the, the, uh, the, the link will be probably included with this to this video that that uh, on YouTube where somebody cut a bunch of Antonioni from like I think like Cleese and another film uh, La Notte to this song and it's like a music video now this makes why this makes sense is because Mina, the singer of this, um, she recorded a song called Le Clis Twist. Which is in the soundtrack to it's the first song you hear in Le Clis. And it's this sort of, you know, beat beat group kind of song. And then she did this two years later. And if you read the lyrics, yeah, it's basically, it's the song she should have recorded for the theme for Le Clis, because mm. it's, it's the whole plot. It's the story of Le Clis, which is, you know, a pretty thin story, but terribly evocative film. And the only Antonioni film I really love. Um, and this is amazing. I mean, I just, like, she sort of retroactively created the theme song mm. for this movie that she'd already done the theme song. Okay. For, um, which is just so you know, mind blown. Um, and Amina was was basically was very is was a very popular Italian singer. Uh -huh. She was sort of like the Leslie Gore, Leslie Gore, um, uh, Petula Clark uh -huh. of, yeah. of Italy, and her nickname was the Screamer because okay. like her early songs, she like just belted shit out. Right. Um, but she learned to modulate um, uh, by the time she did this song, which I just adore. Um, I can just, I can listen to this over and over and over again, because it's just, it, it just doesn't stop. It doesn't let up. It just, just, just grabs you by the throat and just beats you into the pavement and then walks away. That's what I, I just love about it. Yeah, the structure is just uh, is really cool. It, it's, it has this introductory part, but once it starts in English, if calling you, um, or uh, is no, yes, that's where the, the this chorus kicks in and then it just gets repeated the second time around but what i really love is at the halfway mark it just modulates into a new key yeah which that's a real in your morricone thing to do because yeah. if you if you if you've ever seen danger diabolic the the theme song deep deep down yeah just does the same thing it's 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 rep repeating the same thing but now let's play it in this key yeah you know and and it's yeah uh oh man uh thanks for this this is a gift uh uh, this is a real treat um, hearing that one because um, yeah it's 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 just speaks of that that, that of the sixties it really screams of it I think oh yeah yeah and uh, I get the Petula Clark reference too because uh, it's I could almost hear her singing 
they have in fact there are many English <laughs> versions I know Francois Hardy okay. did one did a French version cool. of it um, there are multiple versions okay. of it I know that much and I, di I didn't bring them all I just brought this one because because yeah and, and I mean the other reason I I, I grew up um, in a sort of working class West End neighborhood and it was largely Italians that was hugely Italian neighborhood and then my school was Italian and so I sort of just grew up this like Irish kid with all these Italian friends and the th these are mostly people who'd come over after the war um, and they always went back every few years and I had this really weird vivid sense of what Italy was like sort of as it recovered from the whole war and the north started getting reindustrialized and I remember thinking it sounds really hip like Italy sounds incredibly hip um, I, I you know I kind of like the sound of what I'm hearing about Italy. Um, and it's really funny because I have a friend, uh, Roberto Veri, who I think some of you might know. He used to, he used to do TV and he was a clerk at uh, Driftwood Records. Oh, maybe. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, Roberto grew up in like a total Anglophile. He was an Italian guy who just loved British things. And I was this, you know, British, Irish, Scottish kid who loved Italian stuff. And we, we frequently talk about this, like, how did that happen? Um, so yeah. Anyways, I I, I adore this. Song. Only in Canada. Pity. Only in Canada. Pity. Uh, pity. Yeah. Well, this all was connect definitely connected in the '90s when CDs started coming out and being compiling stuff. Mm -hmm. They started releasing tons of Italian soundtracks. Oh yeah, yeah. Piero, Piccioni, all these people I'd never heard of, and it was all kind of like ultra groovy kind of like back rack what's new pussycat mm. like almost like like you know kids throw let's throw some sitar get the zither get whatever somebody an elephant over there and just like and i was totally into it like and then morricone like so morricone i still dismissed as not that i didn't like for a few dollars more and all that stuff i just didn't get Okay, I didn't need to go there, but then actually Scott Kramer again. This is in the 90s. A lot of this stuff that happened to me was because I was hanging out with Scott because I was making my film vinyl and Scott was doing the soundtrack and I was working at his store and we were listening to a lot of stuff that, you know, you were getting at thrift stores. Anyway, so there was a soundtrack, Meta Uncera Asena. I just looked up, I never, you know, most of these Marconi sounds, it's called Love Circle. It's with Jean-Louis Trantignant, but Tony Musanti also from, anyway, that's just funny that Tony Musanti is in it. But it's a beautiful soundtrack, like it's, and then also there's this compilation, Songs of Edda Del Orso. Mm. So she's like the singer. The vocalese. The vocalese singer, and it was yeah. just like, just like, and then there was this other one, this guy, Stefano Tarosi. You would like that mm -hmm. thing. And it's all like strings for spy movies mm -hmm. kind of thing. And yeah, yeah, that, that, I'm pretty sure I know the instrumental version of that. I, I when I was hearing gongs mm -hmm. going off in the thing, yeah. Yeah, we're in my, this is the, yeah, this is my 90s, my mind being blown by old music that I completely ignored. All of this stuff, Marconi, Mancini, Scott Walker, 
Well, you got a it's whole all about life. me. You got a whole life to uh, discover things, so no rush. Yeah, I don't remember saying neophilia, but what I do remember you did is, is somebody is I read on like Mojo when they asked somebody what do you listen what new stuff are you listening to? I wish I remember who said it, but it was like somebody like Ringo or somebody who said, well, anything I've never heard is new to me. So he was talking about stuff from the 60s that he never heard. While we're giving credit though, Rick did coin a term that I believe he did that became almost like part of my DNA, the parallel 60s. Do you believe you did? I, saw, I remember you coining it. Really? I thought you did. But anyway, a lot of this stuff, the Italian stuff is definitely parallel 60s. It's mm. like. <clears throat> what we mean by that is that we, there's a typical image of the 60s, meaning the Beatles, the Stones, Dylan, but there was Ada, something Ada else. Ashbury, San Francisco scene, the doors, blah, right, blah, blah. Psychedelic yeah. and all that. Yeah. But there was this other thing that happened that, you know, that, that even when you look at the, it was off in the top of the billboard charts and so on. Uh, but it wasn't the image of the 60s, and it was the parallel 60s. Well, also, yeah. even in the 60s, right, you would say, look at the charts, and Horst Jankowski music mm -hmm. from a black forest. Like, there was, yeah, we just mean that, yeah, when they do, when whatever, Time Magazine or, or some, whatever that guy does, the 60s, he doesn't talk about Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett or Buddy Greco, who are still... You know, it's not till like 68, even though the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan in 64, but in 64, Frank Sinatra was king. Mm -hmm. even, even Jim Neighbors could sell records, but it wasn't until like 68 that finally the culture of the 60s was the Doors and mm -hmm. whatever, but up until that, Stephen Eady were, mm -hmm. you know, huge. Huge and and also the other thing is that when I think about the Barrel Sixties, particular, I think about when Stephen Eady started to realize that they better cover Sound of Silence White or rabbit. something <laughs> to be to remain relevant. Yeah. And uh, anyway. Yeah. So in our house, it was. I mean, we had very few records, and uh, uh, one of them was like you know, stereo listening test record. Uh, but it was Burt Camford, you know, that, that's right. what, I mean, Burt Camford, a little bit of, of Johnny Cash, and then the Weavers, and, you know, so it was a real mix, but it wasn't, uh, you know, we, it's not like we had any, we didn't have any Dylan or Stones or, well, she you loves know, like, you, you know, I just, I just, um, I, t twice in the last few months, I have been asked by somebody, can I help sell their records? And so... This guy, this is my friend Chuck, said, uh, this guy, he has his aunt's records. They're jazz records. And then they came, and they were like, there wasn't one jazz record. But there was 18 Al Hurt records. Mm -hmm. And I went online, I asked, like, can I sell Al Hurt? Now, it turned out there was one Al Hurt record called Soul is the Horn. It had this cut Havana Hindu. Was sampled by Dilla Soul. Mercy, mercy, ego trip, ego 
So I sold that to a guy for 20 bucks. But I still have eight, 17 Al Hurt records. And what I'm going to do is, I've been planning, is I have this wall across from me where I put records out. It used to be part of a cop shop. And I'm going to put 17 Al Hurt records on the ground. And then I'm going to take a picture and put it on Facebook and say, Wall of Hurt. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, Al Hurt made a lot of fucking records mm. in the 60s. He got paid to make, you know, must be three records a year. Like, and the thing, you know, I always remember this guy, John McLaughlin, his name was. Rick and I went to visit him when I made vinyl. Mm. And he was kind of like a philosopher teacher. And he said, he talked about, here's a record, a 78. Every thrift store you go to, they have this 78. Okay, you, that's boring. But to me, it's interesting. Because why did everyone? Why, why did everybody? Why are there so many Alhurt records? Sold a lot. Yeah, there are a lot of Alhurt records at yeah. every thrift store now because they sold a lot. Yeah, that was in the '60s during the Beatles. Alhurt was fucking. Yeah, there was a multi-millionaire. This, but and there was a kind of overlap in the Venn diagram of that stuff. I mean, I think in a previous episode you guys talked about dream pop. Now. Dream Pop for me seems it's a very L.A. studio kind of thing. Um, and I associate it with the Wrecking Crew. The Wrecking Crew played on so many of those records. I just bought a three-disc box set of, of, of this kind of stuff just recently. And I don't know if you've heard the drummer on this thing. It's, it's totally Hal Blaine. Like it's an Italian guy in a studio in, in Rome or Milan or I don't know where. And he's completely, completely doing Hal Blaine. Um, in fact, the whole arrangement, I could see that absolutely being a product of something from a, an L.A. studio arranger. It just, it's just got that, but it's more coney, so it's a little bit, but it's, I mean, it's a spin the, there. I better. still, that doesn't explain Al Hurt. The weird thing about Al Hurt is that I think that the woman who had him, these were her jazz records. Yeah. She thought, I mean, he's a trumpet player. I guess he is. Well, you Pete, know, like, Pete Fountain. I mean, For is, a lot of people, is, Pete know, Fountain was well, a Well, I heard Alpert, I guess he's yeah. jazz too. Yep. He plays trumpet. Anyway, the thing is, I tried to play some of the Al Hurt records. No, like I, I couldn't do it. Like I, like I couldn't keep. I wanted to keep one, but they were so lame. But anyway, anyway, that's Al Hurt is a perfect example of parallel sixties. Yeah. And with that, I rest my case. Yeah, James last. Yeah. Yeah, but then this, like, what is it, uh, the, tr- the flute player, um, Herbie Mann, yeah. who was I, was, I assumed was sort of in that bag as well. No, but Herbie played, Mann did yeah. all these really weird, oh, yeah. messed up records. Sonny Chirox was yeah, in his band for a while. Herbie Mann played jazz. Yeah. The Herbie Mann is rolling in his grave. And next Al heard him going, I'm not you. Like, fuck. <laughs> so. that, that guy sounds like something that Sammy Davis Jr. would say. Herbie Mann. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say something. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Parallel 60s, too. Yeah, so. Okay, so now do you want to talk? So Dave uh, here is not just our guest, but he was a musician of some note in Toronto. He was a musician. Yeah, <laughs> and has a new uh, record coming out uh, this month. And we're going to uh, go out with, um, with a cut from that, uh, Swept Away. And do you want to say anything about that? Or? Well, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's not the Dave Aird Singers. 
Right. So it, it, that that must be uh, expressed immediately uh, and, and emphatically because um, the Dave Howard Singers, although there's been lots of different incarnations, especially more more so in England uh, than there were here, um, ostensibly is Dave Howard with a drum machine, and Max, and his A stone organ shoved through a distortion box and a space echo, and that's basically it. Um, and that's fine. I, am, I don't want to ever stop doing that, but there's, who are we talking about? Who, who, who yes, yeah, so we're talking about Scott, who had his, his popular phase and then his later years. So these are my later years. And um, I'm uh, usually when, when we as musicians get middle-aged, we wind up doing uh, middle of the road or adult-oriented rock or uh, jazz. Um, and I'm, I'm not doing any of those. I, I, but I, I, I'm also trying to offer something that's outside of the purview of the Dave Howard Singers that it's something that is broader and shows uh, a, a much wider um, type of arrangement. So it's not ace tone and drum machine, it's a full orchestra and so uh, and can you Can I ask you a question? Why did you call yourself the Dave Howard Singers? I mean, um, was there, I'm not, I'm not questioning it. sounded it. like the Anita Kerr singers? Right, because it does sound like the Johnny Mann singers or the Ray Conniff Well, singers. because it, it was not that. That was it. Was, it was the exact, exact opposite of that. I remember when I saw that, I would think, I don't think it <clears> is. <throat> like, I'm, uh, you know, I remember this guy, the Dave Howard singers I keep hearing about, I don't think there are singers, but I don't know for sure there aren't singers. The first few gigs that I would do, like, like at the Bev, where I really kind of, uh, uh, polished my chops was was sitting there and then waiting for the audience to calm down and go I'm sure the rest will be here in a minute just <laughs> give me a second and then I you know people would start giggling and tittering and I go okay I guess this is just it okay there's nobody else showing up okay I'll, I'll just I'll get started maybe others will show up you know and, and so yeah I, I would start doing things like that or uh, um, but but you know, did they have was, a sense of humor that audience? <clears throat> did, did they? Or it's, the, it's the Bev, so yeah, the, the, okay. everybody had a sense of humor at okay. the Bev. That, that's why they're at the Bev. Um, you had to have a sense of humor to be at the Bev. Um, but uh, so so okay, so I started off uh, in a three piece called the Diners Club. Mm -hmm. This was that that's when I, I that that's how far back uh, uh, the the Scott Walker story was with with Steve Banks was. Uh, this was before that was before the Dave Howard Singers. So anyway, uh, Brian Rourke and I and our drummer Boris Rossich. Um, Boris, if you're out there, we we miss you, man. We love you. Um, he left the band, which just left Brian and I going. Oh, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And we tried doing duet sort of thing, and it didn't work out. And we had a gig we were gonna open for the Kinetic Ideals at the Cameron House. And at one point, Brian just said, "When I can't do this, I, 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 I can't bring myself to play as a duet anymore. It doesn't work. I don't like it." And I said, "But we've we've, we've committed. We've we've said we're going to do this." And he said, "Well, you do it then." 
Uh, what do you mean? He says, well, I've been hearing you down in the basement. We, we were roommates on Roncesvalles. I've been hearing you in the basement. You, you've got like a whole set's worth of songs you've been working on. I go, you've been listening to that? And he goes, yeah, yeah, and it's good. And I went, really? You think I could play that? And so I finally, I sort of summoned, summoned up the courage and went, okay, so I phoned up the kinetics and I said, uh, Diners Club can't do it. Because, well, but you committed. And I said, yeah, but another band's going to fill in. Who? Well, me. Oh, well, what are you called? I don't know yet. And so I, I remember sitting at the kitchen table with Brian and going, so what am I going to call this? He says, well, what do you want to call it? And I said, well, I guess I should have my name in it, like the Dave Howard Show or the Dave Howard Orchestra or, but I don't like any of those. And he goes, well, you're a singer. Why don't you call it the Dave Howard Singers? I went, oh, that's brilliant. So that was it. Okay. That was it. Nothing more mysterious. But than now that. the singers are gone. No, right? it's just the, no, the, no. Nothing's gone. It's just this is something different. This is another aspect of my personality, of my of my abilities, of my skills. So in order to not completely confuse people, because of course branding is everything, and people were saying, but you should you should not change the name because it's branding. Branding's everything. I said, yeah, but this isn't the same thing that this Dave Harrod Singers is known for, which is usually caustic and, and distorted or, or kitsch or, or, you know, all these, all these sorts of things that you can do as a solo act. This is bigger. This is more soundtrack-like. And, um, and so um, I decided on singularity, which singers is plural and singularity is sounding like sing you know just one and it still has the word sing so there's that um it's still da the dhs so i don't have to get a new ip address that's the important thing and uh it's 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 yeah it, it uh where it, it is the singers is one person singularity sounds like a multitude and or no, not a multitude, but just sounds like a lot of people. So um, okay. yeah, that's a bit really so all. So I'll just say to our audience, we're going out on this song, so you're gonna have to wait till episode nine for me to say how much I liked this song by the Dave Howard Singularity. I'm sure he's gonna like it. Yeah. You know what, what's I hope so. What's not to like? What's not to like? Okay. Um, Goodbye. Thank you. No, thank, thank you. you. I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. It was. And I hope everyone likes my song and buy my album when it comes out. In the Is it summer. on Bandcamp? I guess. You can get it at the Record Peddler. No, they'll never take anything. Is they still around? No. no. Oh, I think there's still a website. Okay. All right. Okay. I mean, It'll be at Rotate Disc. Right. Could be. That's probably true.
In this episode, Jim Shedden, Alan Zwag, Rick McGinnis, and special guest Dave Howard of the Dave Howard Singularity discuss songs they love, including The Amorous Humphrey Plug by Scott Walker, Lujan by Henry Mancini, Se Telefonando by Ennio Morricone. episode is Swept Away, composed and performed by the Dave Howard Singularity, from the new album out now called Dark and Foreboding. Temperatures rising, rising along with the sea. Follow A Thousand Songs Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and stay tuned for our next episode available wherever you get your podcasts. We have a cool